Before we get started, we have a quick question. Does your school have a good mentoring program for new teachers? Does it support administrators who run the program, train and support mentors in how to best help new teachers, and support new teachers by answering their questions and helping them to meet their biggest challenges? We've mentored many new teachers and we've had lots of conversations with the new teachers crying in their cars after school. That's why we created the New Teacher Navigator. We have everything that your school needs to run a successful mentoring program. It's online and very affordable. If you or someone in your school or district is interested, check out our program at inspiredtogetherlearning.com or send us an email and we'll follow up. We'd love to help you support the next generation of teachers. The future of education depends on it. And now we hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to learn more about the Enneagram and how Enneagram patterns play out in your life and the lives of others around you, stay tuned for this episode. This is part four of our five-part Enneagram series. Today, we're going to be talking to you about the head types, which are numbers five, six, and seven. What does it mean to be a head type and how does that show up in you or in your family, friends, or students? Let's find out. Welcome to the Inspired Together Teachers podcast. We're Paula and Michelle, award-winning educators who've worked with thousands of teachers, and we know the struggles that you face on a daily basis. Do you want to make a difference and still enjoy your life outside of school? Together, we can tackle the overwhelm, gain clarity, and build confidence to live the life you deserve. Are you ready to be inspired? We can't wait to explore ways to improve your work life and home life so that you can live your best life. Before we get started today, we just wanted to let you know that usually we keep our episodes at 15 to 20 minutes. However, for these Enneagram for Educator episodes in this series, we go a little bit beyond the 20 minutes because there's so much that we want to share. We value your time and we know you're really busy, but we want to make sure you get as much Enneagram information as you can to help you in your work life and your home life. So let's get started. Welcome back to our special series on the Enneagram. I'm excited for today because this is my type. I am a type five. Today's episode is part four of a series. If you haven't already listened to the introduction and the episodes on types eight, nine, one, and on types two, three, and four, you might want to go back and listen to those episodes 34, 35, and 36. In fact, we would strongly recommend that you go back and listen to them because just listening to three of the numbers doesn't really put it all together for you. But if you listen to all of these in the series, you will have a complete picture of all of the Enneagram types. Today, we're going to talk about types five, six, and seven. These are the head types or the thinking types. If you remember our Wizard of Oz analogy, this would be the scarecrow, the IQ type. What did the scarecrow want? If I only had a brain, he is representative of the thinking types. Just as we've done in our other Enneagram podcast episodes, we're going to talk through each of the types, explain what the type is, some labels that are often given to the type, although we like to avoid the labels and look at the patterns more. Then we're going to talk about the positive patterns and what some of the negative perceptions of that type might be as well. So let's go ahead and start with Enneagram type number five. These fives are sometimes known as the wise person or the observers. 
We're going to read through the positive patterns first of the five. You may recognize some of these in yourself or all of these in yourself. Remember, you don't have to have all of them to be that type, but patterns are always in the background, ready to come into play, the negative ones and the positive ones, depending on what's going on in your life. So let's start with the positive patterns of type number five. And this is Michelle. So I get to say this with a big smile on my face because I'm describing my friend here. Fives are wise and knowledgeable. Fives have the answers. That's how you know they are a five. Fives are also visionary. They're really comfortable with those innovative and complex ideas. Fives like to really sit and think. Give them some tough thoughts to work through, and they like to do that. Fives are observant. They're watching you. They're noticing you. They are noticing the world around them. Fives are also really good at synthesizing ideas. That was one of the descriptions that told me right away that I was a five because I feel like I'm really good at taking all the little bits of information in the world and putting them all together. Fives may be reserved or they can be very witty. They're also known to be very analytical. Fives tend to keep their heart, their feelings close to the chest. They're not easy to share. Fives are very careful in the most part with who they share their thoughts and feelings to. So they'll keep it to themselves many times. In our previous podcast episodes, we talked about people who were the gut types, the intuition, they follow their gut. We talked about the people who follow their heart and fives definitely embody people who follow their head. They really are the thinkers. Our Enneagram teacher, Claire Lowridge, says sometimes that for Enneagram type fives, the body is just a place to hold up the head. <laughs> the head is the important part. That seems quite true of me. I can disconnect from my body, but I'm all in my head all the time. So what are the negative patterns of the type fives? Fives can be really protective of their energy. They're guarding their energy and they're also guarding their privacy and their space, which can make them isolate sometimes. If you know any fives, they may also be overthinkers or overanalyzers. Head-centered people tend to sometimes go really far into their head, and fives can do that by really overthinking and overanalyzing situations. You can't just buy something if you're a five. You have to read all the reviews of all of the options and weigh the pros and cons. I will tell you from experience, it takes forever to buy a refrigerator. The gut types go in, they see the refrigerators, they say, that one looks great, I'll take it. And the heart types are like, oh, this one's really nice. I feel like this is a good one. And the fives go back to the store 12 times with their analysis sheet filled out. Let's go back to those negative thought patterns. <laughs> Other people who are not fives may think that fives are intellectually arrogant. Or maybe they see that behavior as negative or too controlled. If they're quick to buy, a five is not a person you want to be with because you may say, they're detached from me. They're not paying attention to what I feel or what I think. Yeah. And they're also detached from their own emotions. Sometimes fives tend to feel those emotions later. They experience it in the moment, but they don't really have a chance to think about it. So they do it later. Then later they realize, oh, I'm upset. So it's a reaction that comes later after they've had time to think about it. 
Fives can be very intense because they do want to connect all the pieces of information. Sometimes that makes them very anxious because there's too much information in the world. And if you're really bound on knowing it all and organizing it all, that can lead to you being really anxious, especially about big to-do lists and not being able to know all the things you need to know in order to function well. The basic way that fives see the world and the fears that are wrapped into that is that fives fear being seen as incompetent. They find security by watching and analyzing and they learn and they understand the world around them. That's where their security lies. If you take the ability to learn, analyze, or understand, if you take that away from a five, you can really put them in a tight spot. I will give an example of my partner here on this podcast, Michelle. I'm a two, if you've listened to our previous episodes, and I'll say, oh, I really feel this. This is good. We should do this. And then Michelle will say, whoa, 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 hold on. I need to think about this. I need some time to read some articles on it. I know I have some notes from a book that I read one time. We need to slow this down, Paula. <laughs> yeah, I say that all the time. My friends laugh at me because I have hundreds of notebooks all over my office that are filled with all the notes from all the books. I read. And if you notice on the podcast, I'm often the one that brings up the books or connects things that I've been reading. That's just the way I am. And that's what I do. How did you know, Michelle, that you were a five? When you started learning about the Enneagram, did you think, oh, maybe I'm a five? Or did you know right away? At first, I thought I was a one because I can be very perfectionist. And then I realized that I'm not perfectionist about everything. Then I read somewhere in the description or heard that fives crave knowledge above all else. And that spoke to my soul. That is me. I love knowledge. I love reading. I cannot go to sleep if I don't read first. I just cannot. Absolutely. Even if it's just five minutes, I must have all the knowledge. I have stacks of books everywhere. I read every single day of my life and it's just who I am. So that was a dead giveaway that I was a five. You probably can think of fives in your life that are in your classroom, in your family. You know the fives. They're sitting in the corner reading the book when everyone else is, let's play this social game. The threes are all competitive and the twos are like, oh, let me go get some snacks. So we're all happy. And the fives are like, I'm going to be in the corner reading my book. Call me when this is over. Five of the ones that go home from the party early because reading is more fun than being out there. But I also think, you know, about fives in school. Yes, they might be the bookworms, but they're also very curious and want to learn. Sometimes ask a lot of questions, not because they're trying to be challenging, but because they're trying to understand. When young fives are trying to understand and they don't necessarily have all the tools to access all the information in the world, they will drive you crazy with all of their questions. Watch for those kids who love learning, who have a lot of questions and a lot of curiosity about things. They're probably fives. Fives are generally pretty calm. They're wise and they're also really perceptive. You know fives because they love to learn. They're curious, but they have to be careful because they can go down deep rabbit holes when something really interests them. Into your life, into your classroom, fives bring the gift of understanding complex ideas. They bring creative innovations into the world because they're synthesizers. The challenge for fives is to not get stuck in their head or to detach from others in that relentless pursuit of knowledge. If you're working with a five or you know a five, they may need some help in that area. If you are a five, your challenge is learn to access your feelings and learn to trust your gut instinct. Let's talk about the next Enneagram head type. This is type six. 
Sixes are often known as the loyal person or the loyalist. The positive patterns of a type six are that they are very reliable and responsible. They are often the most reliable, responsible person in the room. They are hardworking and they are trustworthy. Think about the last time you worked in a group. Who was that person that everyone trusted because they were hardworking, they're reliable all the time, they're compassionate, and they are loyal? They are probably a six. That loyalty, I think of as being the key thing. They are loyal to their people. They are loyal to their jobs. They are loyal to their town, their community. These are people that once they settle in, they will stay forever because they are just that loyal. If you have a six as a friend, you are very lucky because your six will love you for the rest of your life and their life. That's how loyal they are. It's deep inside of them. And along with that, that whole friendship thing and understanding and being loyal to people, they're very sympathetic to the underdog. I have a daughter who's a six, and I can remember when she was little, the commercials would just kill her. Mom, look at those poor kids. They need to be adopted. Can we adopt a bunch of those kids? Or she'd see the animal, those horrible commercials with all the sad animals. And she's like, Mom, we have to go to the shelter and bring home all those animals. Her heart was just really sympathetic to the underdog. Sixes are also really warm and friendly. They're vigilant, but they can become fearful or worried in good ways. Listen to a six. They know when there is something to be feared. They've been thinking through it with their head. They're very careful when they make decisions. They're very loyal to the rules, and they're great problem solvers. Sixes get comfort from scanning the world to see where the problems, the struggles, the challenges, or something dangerous might be. Then they solve that in their head first so that they're prepared and that makes them feel secure. I always joke that your sixth friend is the one with the Mary Poppins bag. You need a Tylenol, they've got one. You need a Band-Aid, it's in the car. You get stuck on an icy road, they've got the boots and the scarf and the hats and the little charger because they are prepared for disasters and emergencies and that sort of thing, which is a really useful trait. Let's look at some of those challenging patterns of type six because it just plays right off from that. What is a positive that they are fearful and worried and thinking about the worst case scenarios Sometimes they can get fixated on those worst case scenarios. Sixes are worrying about an upcoming event that might happen and spend a lot of the time in worrying about something that may not ever happen. That causes a lot of anxiety when you're really, really worried. You know, oh, there's an earthquake and you're a child and it's like, what if the earthquake comes here and what if we all die in an earthquake? Then they become very, very anxious about that. I see that in children. Again, you're, you're learning how to deal with yourself and you're learning how to deal with your thoughts and your feelings that getting overwhelmed by worst case scenarios. Those prepper books, you know, like what to do if you're in a car accident kind of books are written for sixes because they're the ones who will read them. Another challenging pattern based right off of that is that they may withdraw from others to protect themselves or to not have to confront those fearful situations head on. Sometimes they seek them out and confront them, but they don't want to do that. They are often relentless in getting what they want. They are loyal. If they say something's going to happen, they're going to make it happen because they sometimes can be really desperate to feel a sense of belonging. 
Along with that is, you know, again, the things that have to do with that being anxious about the dangers of the world. At its worst, they become overly cautious. I remember a childhood friend whose mother just wouldn't let her go swimming because you might drown. You can have swimming lessons and be with lifeguards and all of that. And her mother was so concerned about it that she wouldn't let this girl ever go to the pool with us. Sixes also have really, really good instincts, but they can be so full of self-doubt that they don't trust those instincts. Again, they're a thinking type. They're overthinking it, not going with their instincts. All of those kinds of things can make them highly anxious if they're not careful. The basic desires of a six are to be safe and secure in a world that they see as fraught with danger. Sixes want a secure group of people. They want a secure place so they can fight away all of that anxiety and insecurity with secure people and in a secure place. (laughs) Security, security, and loyalty. They anticipate danger and they plan ahead, protect themselves, which is great as a coping strategy for controlling their fears as long as it doesn't get out of hand. Sixes have great instincts, but they don't always trust themselves because they're thinking a little bit too much to just go with their instincts. If you think about sixes as students and or as children in your classroom, think about the sixes, the one that likes to have a very structured routine. We go to gym at this time, we have lunch at this time, we have math at this time, and then a substitute comes in and the schedule gets messed up. That can make a child very, very anxious. And then they're very worried. Well, what if the sub is mean? What if the sub doesn't know my name? What if the sub doesn't remember what time we go to lunch and then we all get hungry? That's the kind of stuff that's running through their head in that insecure world of everything is changing and now I don't know and there are dangers in the world. We might have to miss lunch because the sub doesn't know what time to take us to lunch. And if you think about it and you understand those kids and the kinds of fears that they have, it's pretty easy to reassure them. You have the schedule on the board. You tell them if you know ahead of time, I'm not going to be here tomorrow, but the substitute's going to be here and here's the schedule. The sub will know where to go for lunch and the sub will know all the things. Just saying that can really help them. Let's move on to the last of the head types and actually the last of the Enneagram numbers that we're talking about in this podcast series which is the Enneagram type seven. Type seven is known as the joyful person or the enthusiast. I feel like when we're talking about number seven, we have to have lots of excitement, lots of energy. You know the sevens, they bring the joy. Sevens are optimistic and spontaneous. You know a seven because they are playful. They are fun and often they are funny. Oh, they are humorous. Where's the party? Let's go. What's happening? Very high spirited. Lots and lots of energy. They're looking for new, exciting experiences. They can't wait to go out and try it. They want to taste everything life has to offer. And along with that comes that energy and excitement about new things. They can be very visionary. Again, they're in their heads, right? So the head type is visionary because they see all the possibilities in the world. These are not people who are chained to their normal routine on a daily basis. They see possibility and then they want to go for it because they want to go for everything. They want life to be an adventure. So they make great visionaries to come up with new ideas. 
They're often full of gratitude. Sevens love life. They're great cheerleaders for other people. This is amazing. I'm so happy for you. Let's go celebrate. They're often really social. I think of all the head types, they are the most social in this engaging, fun way. We need sevens in our life because they do bring the joy. They do bring the fun. I have a young nephew. He's in college now who's a seven. I've known for years that that boy gives me more joy than anybody else in my life. He is just a light. It is fun to be around him and fun to talk with him. We we share the same birthday. So he always calls me with the joke and funny things. They just add joy and life and energy. I have a friend who's a seven and we vacation a lot together. And when we're on vacation, we don't just go to the pool. We get to the pool and she says, okay, I've come up with how we're going to play pool Olympics today. We're going to see who can do the deepest dive and we're going to see who can do a handstand in the water for the longest amount of time. She always brings the excitement and the joy. But you can start into some of the challenging patterns of the type seven because type sevens can almost be addicted to that joy and happiness and energy to the point where they crave it, they need it, they have to have it, or they're unsettled down deep in the weeds. So it's always wanting to find that, look for that. And, you know, and in our lives, there are the quiet moments, the settled times. Most of us don't just go full force 100 miles an hour every minute of the day. So if you are addicted to that, that can become a problem, especially think of kids in school. They can't sit still. They don't want to be quiet. They don't want to stop talking. They want to go and move and do and see and try. That can bring them problems. I think FOMO was invented for the sevens. They have a definite fear of missing out. They want to keep all of their options open. Sometimes people can see sevens then as being indecisive or lacking commitment. You're overextended, you're scattered, you're undisciplined. Someone may see you that way, but for the sevens, they just don't want to miss anything. So they're trying to do all of the things, which can make them appear easily distracted as well. They can be easily distracted and seem really undisciplined. And sometimes they are because they're so busy flitting around to all the things that they don't complete projects or they don't follow through on an idea because the ideas are racing in their heads. They have very busy, active minds. So stop, slow down, complete something, finish something can be, no, just keep going and find the next thing. And that's where that reputation sometimes of being undisciplined and distracted comes in. These are people who don't want to be bored and are bored easily. Sometimes we have to do things in life that are boring and you just, you know, you just have to do it. That can be a challenge for them because it's no fun. We don't want to do that. The really typical thing about a seven that you don't see, but that is underlining the type seven is that they feel that they must avoid the pain of life at all costs. They do not want to feel the pain. So they will just ignore it and move on. And I have a great example of that. At my daughter's wedding, the groom's brother is a type seven. And then at his wedding, he was getting married. And so my daughter said, oh, well, are you going to have the candles for the deceased grandparents at your wedding? He was just crazy. He's like, why in the world would I ever bring that kind of negativity into my wedding? And my daughter's like, no, you're honoring them. And he's like, no, that's just depressing. I'm not dealing with that stuff. 
And he was not having it. So a perfect example. I don't want to feel the pain of my grandparents and one of them had recently died. I don't want to feel that pain. I'm not even going to talk about that at my wedding because I don't want to go there. Sevens just want to enjoy life's pleasures. They want freedom. They want to do fun things. They want to do interesting things. But their fear, like you just mentioned, is feeling any pain or doing anything that will deprive them of something that's joyful. Sevens often go to great lengths to avoid feeling anything unpleasant, which means they often need to be doing something else to avoid feeling unpleasant. Think about your classroom. Think about students you know that you have or that you've had that probably have all of the seven patterns to go see, do, be excited, bring the energy, bring the joy. All of those are good things. And then think about how can you help them to corral that in a way that serves them well. So, you know, that they're not just running and moving and going, but how can they use that energy in positive ways? Before we recap this episode, we just want to make sure that you know that the following podcast episode after this, the very next one that's coming out, is going to be bringing this all together. We had an introductory episode, then we talked about three of the types in one episode, three in another, and these three in this episode. Stay tuned for the next episode where we're going to talk about what do you do with all of this? What does it all mean for you in your work life and home life? Make sure that you listen to the follow-up episode to this because it is going to help you pull it all together. That's a good place for our recap. The thinking types of five, six, and seven lead with their heads, constantly filtering the world through their mental faculties. The inner life of the mind gives them energy and inspiration. They tend to analyze and plan, which provides security. Under stress, they can overthink, overplan, or withdraw, which leads to isolation and anxiety, which then gets in the way of good decision-making or taking action. In true teacher fashion, we always end our podcast with homework. So our homework for you today is to look for these patterns of the fives, the sixes, and the sevens in yourself, or maybe in someone that you know, love, or teach. See if you can develop understanding of how these patterns play out for them or you in your daily lives. We won't be grading your homework, but we'd love to hear how it's going. So reach out to us through our social media channels or through our website. If you would like to revisit or listen to any of the episodes in this Enneagram series that you might have missed, you can just head over to inspiredtogetherteachers.com. We have all the recordings there and all the show notes. That's all for today. Class dismissed. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, Join us on Instagram and Facebook at Inspired Together Teachers or head over to our website, inspiredtogetherteachers.com for more podcast episodes, our award-winning blog, and free guides to help you be your best. Until next time, may you be inspired in your work life and home life to live your best life.